The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to thee, O Christ. Come thou font of every blessing, tune our hearts to sing your grace. Inspire the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts. I ask this in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Inspirer. Amen. In the King James translation, and there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which are worth a farthing. If the first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay, did the incarnational good news come later to the certain poor widow in our reading this morning? The widow's might is a powerful story because there's a natural resonance among Christians with the experience of giving when we feel like what we have to offer is small. We sang one example of this tradition this past Sunday afternoon at the choral Evensong for All Souls, where we set aside some time to intentionally remember and appreciate those who we love who are no longer with us. The third verse of how shall I sing thy majesty, named a particular fear? I shall, I fear, be dark and cold, with all my fire and light. Yet when thou dost accept their gold, Lord, treasure up my might. Lord, treasure up 
my might. These words were first published by an English cleric in 1683 in a book of poetic hymns. His words were set to more modern music in the late 20th century. And the sentiment still speaks powerfully to us today. We naturally identify with the experience of the widow. This Veterans Day, I'm remembering my grandmother. Tragically, she was trying on her wedding dress on Pearl Harbor Day. They were married before my grandfather shipped out as a surgeon fixing up Germans and Americans alike in Europe, especially when his hospital ended up being a lot closer than anyone anticipated to the Battle of the Bulge. Some of the Germans he fixed up were taken away by the military police and never seen again, but he did what he could to heal those who came into his care. Meanwhile, my grandmother was the one who was left at home. I'm sure she feared, in the words of our poem, she feared being dark and cold. I always knew her to be a woman full of fire and light. But I know that she also held on to her faith fiercely and that it sustained her through some really tough times. In her gospel, the woman the widow was also a woman of strong faith. And Jesus was concerned about her welfare, too. Widows in the ancient world usually couldn't buy property on their own. Some widows found themselves empowered by their independence when their husband died. But in today's terms, most widows did not own a house and could not host the church in their house. That was only the wealthiest widows that could do that for the underground church. No, most widows would have been more like the undocumented children and families currently living in the United States, unable to buy property, living on the periphery without recognized status and without an opportunity to participate in the public economic system of the time period. In the words of our psalm, the Lord cares for the stranger he sustains the widow and the orphan. The edges of the field in Israelite tradition were set aside for the widow to be able to glean food for herself and for her family. The system was set up to provide for her when it was working well. So maybe that's why Elijah was sent to that widow in a foreign land, to provide for her by way of a miracle because... She needed encouragement, and there weren't any people of means who were kind enough to help her where she was. After all, Christ called out the scribes at the start of our gospel today in the hopes that they would change their behavior. He did this as a kind of finale to a series of exchanges with various different kinds of scribes who showed up in Mark's gospel. First, were the Pharisees who showed up with some Herodian supporters of Rome, two groups who are diametrically opposed in their views on tax policy and their recommendations on that front. And they all really wanted to know if Jesus was paying his taxes. Subsequently, Jesus debated with the more agnostic Sadducees, and they gave Jesus a legal question about 
how heaven works, what heaven looks like after unspeakable tragedies happen here on earth. Finally, a scribe with an unknown allegiance asks about the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds with the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, adding a verse from Leviticus 19, thus giving us our summary of the law. This unknown scribe had responded in agreement, adding that to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, love is more important than all of our offerings or sacrifices. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus knew that prayer, tithing, and other spiritual practices are powerful and transformative. And having the goal of increasing our pledge is a blessed thing. I'm not advocating for you to sell your birthright for a mess of pottage. When you're hungry or in need. I'm saying God's abundance is sometimes about different messages for different people. Jesus called out the scribes who, in his own words, devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. And then he waited and watched as people were putting their offerings into the temple treasury. What was he watching for? What was he waiting for? And if this was a test, what was he wanting to see happen? If you take nothing away from this sermon, I hope that you will think more deeply about Jesus' role as a teacher of applied theology. Have you ever had a teacher who taught you by testing you? At the time, it probably wasn't pleasant. If you're anything like me, it probably didn't feel super encouraging either. But it helped me to remember the lesson. God, in my life, has used all kinds of individuals to teach me. And I'm thankful for the lessons I received. I started this sermon, hopefully not too long ago, with a question. I asked, does the or did the incarnational good news come later to the certain poor widow from our reading this morning? We may never know if one of Jesus' followers or if Jesus himself reached out to the widow after she made her overzealous contribution. But my second set of questions concerned the waiting and watching that began before the widow put in her two mites. What was Jesus waiting for? As people put their money into the treasury, I imagine Jesus waiting and watching to see if any one of the scribes who had engaged him in debate would put his teaching into practice to stop the widow from putting in all that she had to live on. Widows weren't unfamiliar characters in the tableau of the time period. Jesus had just called out the scribes for devouring widows' houses. Anyone could have probably recognized the widow, probably by face and name. In today's terms, it wouldn't have been so difficult for one of those scribes to intervene as a bystander and say, even in today's terms, to say, if you are living on the edge, just barely hanging on through a season of drought in your life, in your finances, 
a dollar a day, or five dollars a day, or twenty-five dollars a day, might be all that you can give. And if that's the case, then I hope and pray that you will be faithful in doing what you are sustainably called to do. In fact, St. George's is looking for one more giver in each of those categories. And my prayer is that God's emissaries will meet you in that place where you are giving what you're able. But there are many others of us whose life experience is actually, if we're honest, much closer to that of the scribes. We are the ones who are the true subject of Christ's bystander intervention training program. We are the ones who are called to keep the food pantry going. We are the ones who are called to keep host and our winter shelter going. We are the ones who are called to continue to build and establish voice, our regional community organizing ministry. We are the ones who are called to give hope where it might otherwise be lacking. We are the ones who are called to put this lesson in practice by engaging a healthy generosity so that we can connect with that deeper loving kindness of God. So that our money doesn't get in the way of our kindness. And yes, even if our means and social locations may be closer to that of the scribes, we may still feel like the widow at times inside. So, in the spirit of offering our might, I invite you to join me in silent prayers for Christ's peace in our world today. We'll ring the bell, the St. George's bell, 21 times as we remember Armistice Day, the end of World War I, 100 years ago, 11 a.m. on the 11th month of 1918. It might seem totally inadequate to pray for peace when we are looking at all the conflict and violence across our world today. It might seem totally overwhelming to consider what our prayers or our actions might be able to accomplish given how stretched we already are in our struggle to embody God's promised abundant life amid the brokenness down here on earth. But I invite you to join me in praying as our congregational offering of 21 mites of silent prayer for priests. After the bell rings 21 times, we'll resume our service with the Nicene Creed.